Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 80 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level. I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? Uh, you said 80, and it almost scared me. I know, right? <laughs> I've spent over 80 hours doing this with you. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah. I, I I just didn't think about that and until again, this very moment. Yeah, it's just it like I said, it feels feels like first year was just just yesterday and Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. But we're here. But we're here. We're here, we're healthy. Yeah. Uh you know, we've got this lovely community that listens to us and that we hope to expand every time. Um Big and we shout have... out to those in the on the live chat with us right now. I see, yes. uh, I see Samantha poking in there and uh Knox in the box said that he is uh tending unfortunately to a broken refrigerator. So I, uh, I think the word is adulting. Adulting. <laughs> He's yeah. adulting. But luckily we're recorded and mm-hmm. it will rebroadcast, but we'll may, may, maybe we'll see them. Yeah. So tonight we have a considerable topic. Yeah, you know, it was <laughs> it's one of those game systems that uh I haven't really had a lot of experience with, but I think is pretty ubiquitous now in the uh lately in the, the game yeah. world. Um and I think everybody's at least heard of it if they've not experienced it themselves, and that's the whole powered by by the apocalypse. Yes. Uh, the apocalypse world uh rule set. Um, and so we wanted to do a uh, system spotlight on it, you know, not only to just kind of uh, get it back out there for you guys, but also to kind of learn it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it's big. It's really There's big, There's a yeah. lot of games that run into this. I mean, like, uh, when I think of, uh, like, when um, D20 happened, mm-hmm. um, God, I was trying to think of what year that occurred and my brain went straight to goo. It was in the, uh, what, late 90s? Uh, it was right around when I was in college, so yeah, it was either late nineties or early, early, early two thousands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there was just suddenly an abundance of D twenty games, like just an abundance. Oh, everywhere! Got, like everybody everywhere. was using the D twenty license, D twenty, and just modern, going to nuts. Spycraft, yeah, just and things. It, and it felt like oh, okay, well, everything's pretty much the same with just a different layer stacked onto mm-hmm. it. And then I started looking at the apocalypse games, and I was like, I know some of these, but. Holy jeez, there's a lot. And some of them, I recognize names and didn't realize it was powered by the apocalypse. It was the base behind it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And absolutely. they are very different. And it's it's amazing that they're so prolific because um, it, they were started in 2010 by uh, McGay Baker and Vincent Baker. Yes. Um, for the Apocalypse World RPG, which was their their flagship uh, yes. product. But um, when I when you brought up the, the, the wiki for it, there was 24 games. Yeah. Including Apocalypse World. Yeah listed on that wiki it was impressive and like i didn't even get to it through i've never played apocalypse world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. never touched it haven't read a single book on I it i thought you said you played urban shadows well i played urban shadows uh-huh but i've never played the base oh you never played okay i'm sorry you've played a powered by the apocalypse game, game but never the apocalypse world rpg so i'm glad i'm glad actually that distinction gets brought up very yes. early in the discussion because powered by the apocalypse is the rules set it is their version of d20 apocalypse world is the flagship game. Correct. It is their D&D to the D20. Correct. Right. Or uh, Palladium Fantasy to the Palladium World to a degree. Right, right, So, right. Um, But yeah, and, and I, had, I, I, I knew it existed, mm-hmm. but I never touched it. Like, I had friends who had played it uh, in the past, but, like, again, I mean, I say past, it was 2010. Yeah, right. um, but, uh, yeah, never got to it. And it wasn't until I saw... Uh, urban shadows that i really even got a flavor into it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and and now i'm seeing all these other products i'm like oh wait i know that one like i i haven't played it but i've heard people talking about masks um which is the um uh like teen superhero one yeah like teen titans kind of uh, yeah kind of a game yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That looks so really interesting um i uh my experience with uh, uh powered by the apocalypse is uh, i i have a copy of the dungeon world book mm-hmm. um i bought that a while ago but i really have not had a chance to uh, to play it, um, just between running my own D and D game is already consuming enough of my time. Um, I am not one of those people who can run seven different games with seventeen people in them, uh, unlike certain other of our listeners. So <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I will say this as a whole, mm-hmm. I think powered by the, apoc- pop- the apocalypse games, you can do it. Uh, don't I don't know if they would play well with that many players. Yeah, I don't think so either. Um, 
And we'll get to why. Like, I, I think there's definitely elements if we take a look at both of the two, because we looked at Dungeon World and uh, Urban Shadows as our two. Right, right. Now, um, c- keep in mind, too, um, we've had some experience with City of Mist. Correct. But it's, and City of Mist is an offshoot. Right. Of, it's very, but it's, but you can, if you look at City of Mist's rules, you can definitely see the core. Like The influence is there. If you it know, is very If strong. you know Powered by the Apocalypse, you read City of Mist's rules and you go, oh, I see. I see where they got all this from, you know. Um, it's about a, it's about a halfway step between fate and powered by the apocalypse. Yes. Uh, but it's still very, you can still very much see the influence in there. Yes. Um, my only other experience with powered by the apocalypse games was, um, uh, critical role did a one shot of monster hearts. Okay. And, uh, it was really good. Okay. It was really good. Um, it's basically, uh, high school monsters. Okay. Um, so you're, you're, you're a monster archetype, but you're also a high school kid. Like monster high kind of thing? Yeah. Where like everyone knows everyone's a monster? Uh, it's not that everyone knows everyone's a monster. I think you're, you're more surreptitiously part of the community. Oh, so it's closer to like, uh, Teenage Werewolf. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. You're okay. you're uh you're you're just a normal high school student except for the fact that you've made a pact with a demon. Gotcha. You know that sort of thing. Or you know under the full moon you turn into a werewolf exactly. or whatever. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Oh, okay. No, no, I'm just in anger management, you know? <laughs> Um Fair enough. Fair enough. Um so you dove into Dungeon World, which I have played a little. Yeah, we kind of divided and conquered. Uh, I think it was the better way to do it because in all honesty, there's a lot and I mean they're similar because mm-hmm. of the base core system. But it's amazing the differences between them. It really is. Yeah. Um. And and that that's I think uh, one of the first things I, I kind of want to tackle about when talking about the powered by the apocalypse system is, um. So you've got all these different games that are powered by the apocalypse, but they're all so uniquely flavored. Um. So what is what is the common thread that kind of runs through all of those? Mm-hmm. What is what is the thing that makes them powered by the apocalypse, even though their their settings and their rules may may, may differ wildly. Mm-hmm. Um. So the first thing is uh, the what they refer to as the fiction. Um, the fiction is essentially just the ongoing story. Yes, uh, it's almost kind of referred to as its own. It's, it's almost as its own character in, in yeah. a, lot of the, a lot of the writing. Yeah, um, it's basically just the story being told. Uh, it stresses that this is a collaborative story, um, and the rules shouldn't dictate the story, but the story should dictate the moves. That yes. Happen. Which, which, again, we're going to use the term moves a lot in this to describe effectively actions mm-hmm. or, in my really personal opinion, uh, chances. Yeah, those are those are the next thing, is all these games have moves. Mm-hmm. Um, so what will happen is every move has a trigger. Yes. And so it is just a bold bit of text at the beginning of, of whatever that move is that says, when this happens, do this. Um, and that can be just something as simple as, uh, I attack the monster, which might be a like lash out in violence move. Right. Um, and because the trigger for that is when you use violence to damage another creature mm-hmm. or to damage something might be the trigger word for it. Right. And, and so attacking an opponent is lashing out with violence to damage something. At the same time, you're not always going to make a move because mm-hmm. sometimes it's, not necessary. I yeah. mean, literally, if you've knocked a guy out and he's on the ground and you're going to finish him off, that's, that's not, not a, a move. Out. Yeah, that's not a There's move. There's no chance a... that you're going to screw that up. It's not even that action. It's it's effectively doing the same thing you have in cinematic movies where, like, yeah, you're you're walking along and there's two guards. You bang their two heads together and you walk away. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no – they're not getting up. That That's not part of the scene. There's no interest there. It's where you're going. Right. And in right, all right, honesty, right. you're not even going to do a move for the two human guards at the door when, you know, the vampire killer, vampire hunter knocks their heads together. Mm-hmm. They're two humans. You're not even going to make a move for that. Now, going in the door and finding the demon standing there, turning to look at you while a ritual is going on. There may, now, there's going to be some moves because nobody knows the outcomes of those actions. Right, 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 right. And, you know, keeping in mind, too, that, like, basically everything that has a chance of failure like that is a move. Mm-hmm. So not only just lashing out in violence, but also things like um, I shared a secret with a friend yep. might trigger a move that allows you to glean a secret back from them Yeah, as you share an intimate moment. Yeah, you know? or paying a debt. Paying a debt. Uh, Refusing to pay a debt. Dungeon World has a bunch of them where it's yeah. like, uh, when you are on a quest, mm-hmm. you may do this. Yeah. You know, when another player makes a lash out and violence move, you may. Right. 
Um, you know, we'll get to those when we get in because they're a right, little right, different right. between the systems. So, but but you kind of get the feel for for what yeah. moves are yeah. um, and how they're described. Um, one thing that really kind of threw me off was that there doesn't seem to be any initiative system unless no. it is specifically written in by the game. Yeah, rarely does it even mention like the order of how to handle things. Like I know in uh, Urban Shadows, it says when you're when you're going around to do your debts, you start to the left of the storyteller and go around in a circle. Mm-hmm. That, that, uh, that that's the most direction is, you get. I'm surprised it even has that much, yeah. honestly. Um. It very pointedly, at least in the Dungeon World book, says there is no initiative. Yeah. Like, flat out. You just interject when you think your character is important. Mm-hmm. The game master or storyteller or whatever they're called in that game will um, mm-hmm. just make sure that everybody is getting their due time. Mm-hmm. Those who have spoken a lot may be set aside for a little bit. Those who haven't spoken may be called on. Mm-hmm. But everybody's going to have their part, and the conversation will continue. Yeah, and that leans into the fact that it is rules light. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no initiative. That's not important. The moves are what you're doing. There's no, like, I'm going to pick a lock, or I'm going to do charisma checks, or I need to make observations constantly. Right. You know, right. I just stepped into a room. I'm going to observe the room. No, no, you don't You don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's there, you're going to see it. Like, mm-hmm. let's describe what you find. Sure. You know? Um, and because it is rules light, uh, you're also going to find that, like... The, the, the books are relatively small mm-hmm. and pretty easy to consume. Um, spell lists are very short. Yeah. Character creation tends to be picking things off of a list. You can do it in 15 minutes. Yeah. If, if you know what you're looking at. Yeah. If you have a character concept, uh, you know, a lot of times the cards are very simple mm-hmm. and literally walk you through the character creation process right on the card. Yeah. In a you, single oh, so sheet of paper. You're playing a fighter. Okay. So you get this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Choose one of these. And choose two of these. Yeah. Now, You're done. work on your bonds with your group. Get the story going. Yeah. You know, and that's literally it. Mm-hmm. Um, and bonds are mm-hmm. the next thing. Yep. Uh, so even if you've admittedly a very hack and slashy dungeon world, you still have a section that describes your relationships to everybody else. Yeah. And those relationships are very important because resolving those relationships and moving, you know, th- uh, Bringing them into the story so that they can be role-played, right. they can be manipulated, and they can be um, resolved, I suppose, is the, is, is, is the word that they use um, when, you know, there's no longer a conflict in that uh, uh, in that relationship. That's when you actually mark XP. So it's actually a, it's a form of character advancement to have these relationships and change them and grow them with other people. Uh, and lastly, speaking of XP, failure yes. yields results. It does. It um, does. So XP is not done like it is in many other systems in this mm-hmm. game. Um, most of your XP is going to come through resolving those relationships, as well as failure. So the dice in this game are two d six. You roll. Um, you roll is two d six, and typically plus something, um, depending on like what game you're playing. Those attributes may change, so it may you know. Uh, for instance, um, Urban Shadows has blood, spirit, mind, and body, I believe, are your four attributes. Uh, I'll get into those. Um, but, you know, Dungeon World has your typical mm-hmm. D&D, uh, strength, stats, charisma, yeah. dexterity, you know, things like that. Um, so you might, like, roll your 2d6 and add your dexterity number or something like that, or a dexterity modifier. Always, a 10 up, you get the result you're looking for. That's a good result. You have partial successes, though. Seven to nine is typically a success with consequence, um, or a partial success, or maybe you get um, full success, but you consume a resource of something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you roll a six or under, you don't get a success at all, but what you do get is experience for it, because you learn from your failures. Yeah, and that follows close enough with... Uh, the way Urban Shadows handles its uh, success steps and rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10 plus is a success with something. Uh, whereas anything underneath that is varied levels of not necessarily failure, but consequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, till the point of where you just having consequences. Yeah. And so, so. I, I like it because every time you throw the dice, something is going to happen. It, it is. There's, the situation will be resolved mm-hmm. in some way. It's not like, oh, it nothing happened. You missed. 
Yep. Like that that doesn't quite jive in this game. You 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 don't miss your move so much as you miss the target number your mind wanted to hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the age old. You go to punch the guy, and you don't get the result you want, and so it comes to find out that you're hitting his metal face that you didn't realize was metal. Mm-hmm. Like, uh-oh. <laughs> or, or, quite simply, you tucked your thumb in, mm-hmm. and uh, after nearly breaking it when you punched the guy in the face, <laughs> you realize you probably did more damage to yourself than to him. Yeah. It smarts, and now you remember, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. I've learned something today. Yep. Mark experience. And that's now canon. <laughs> and that's like, now canon, Yep. yep. So tell me a little bit more about Dungeon World. Why don't you lay that one? All out? right. So Dungeon World. Um, I once I sat down and actually read the rules for it. I've had this book kicking around forever, um, and it was really good to have this opportunity to just finally learn this game. Um, really start. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's there's a there's a lot in the storyteller section. Like most of the book is the storyteller section. Now I'm gonna straight up say this for a rules light system, which is what it is. These books are packed with data. There are very few pictures. Oh, it's very dense. There's very few, but it, it explains one thing that I think a lot of the other systems don't do is that they lean into the narrative. They lean into getting players together and they help you a lot yeah. with getting your focus pointed on that. Exactly, exactly. The the storyteller section in this book is is remarkable. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think some of the some of the, the, the suggestions they make for running Dungeon World are excellent for running any other game oh yeah definitely um, dead honest just just the standpoint of, of how you build a world and how you make that world react to the players mm-hmm. uh, but we'll get there so dungeon world is if i had to put it in a sentence like someone wanted to play D, but be like super chill about it yeah uh it is the most relaxed D game you will ever play um it's very recognizable mechanics mm-hmm. um, to your D&D players. So your attributes, like I said, are all the same. Attributes, I like attributes, that. Attributes, yes. I like that. Um, are all the same. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so your you know, strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. Yeah. Um, in fact, they go on the same scale, 3 to 18. Okay. Um, and you're going to glean a, mi- a minus 3 to plus 3 modifier, depending on what those are. So, right, and, it, and rarely you go above a plus 3. From uh, what I'm understanding, you, like you need other modifiers to do it because right. you simply cannot go outside of the three to eighteen. Right. Um, when you create your characters, it's a standard array of of, uh, of points. Not the same standard array Fifth Edition uses, yep. but it's its own. It's similar. Um, so there's not even rolling. You just pick your stats off of a off of a list. Um, races. Uh, there are. Elves, dwarves, halflings, and humans, I believe, are the only the only four races in here, at least in the book. Um, and uh, they're actually class-specific, which I found a little... Um, uh, maybe odd, uh, because I, you usually don't see that sort of thing restricted. Um, but it's very old school. It just kind of limits your, um, uh, your choices a little bit, but you get something for it. Okay. Uh, for instance, like a um, if you are a ranger, uh, if you're playing a human ranger, uh, you get some bonus to I want to say it's some combat bonus you get um, where when you do a certain move, it does like an extra plus one or something like that. Um, if you're playing an elf ranger, however, when you're doing a scout move, you always succeed. Oh, nice. OK. You know, so you, that makes sense. You You at least get a tangible benefit for having the limited choice. Um, and then your classes are customized by choosing from a limited list of options. Uh, so your character creation can be done basically in five minutes. Um, you don't really have to search through charts. Uh, even your spell lists for the wizard and the cleric are, um, basically three pages and big text, you know? Yeah. (laughs) There's, there's maybe five spells per level. Um, there's only one, three, five, seven, and nine level spells. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so skip all the even numbers, and you get a number of spells equal to your level. I think it is okay, um, or something like that. But it's it's again very very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so things that that I think Dungeon World brings to the table that are were really remarkable to me. Um, okay, and this is kind of the the, the first thing that that uh, that you see in the storyteller section. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got a lot of principles that mm-hmm. they list off. Yeah. Basically things you should always keep in mind when playing this game. Sure. The first one is make maps, leave blanks. I like that idea. 
And I know we've we've said this before. Mm-hmm. We've referenced this in many uh, many world building mm-hmm. and and session building sessions. Um, it's the very first principle that's listed. Uh, and and that what that is is to allow the players and the evolving fiction to fill in those blank spots for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so like okay, we're gonna head to uh you know Skull Mountain. Um, Rob, what is uh what's something else we find along the way? A uh, a group of worshipping dwarves. Okay. Are these worshipping dwarves worshipping in some sort of a temple? Are they just out in the field? or? Uh, they have an exquisitely built temple. Okay. So there's that... an exquisitely built temple to what god? Actually to the mountain itself. To the mountain itself. Yes. So that's a blank spot we've left in our map yep. between here and Skull Mountain. Mm-hmm. Now we filled it in. Yep. And we're going to have an adventure because Rob said... Dwarf cultist mm-hmm. praying to the mountain. Yep. Cool. Let's do it. Yep. You know? Yep. What's going on there? Awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely awesome. Um, even things like uh, making camp for the night, mm-hmm. dying, mm-hmm. traveling down the road. Like I said, you have like scouting moves that you mm-hmm. need to do um, are all moves. Mm-hmm. So like when, when you die, there is a move that says when you take your last breath. Mm-hmm. And it's how you resolve essentially what you what what passes for death saves. Yeah. In in Dungeon World, uh, when you make camp for the night, that's when you can level up your character, you consume rations and stuff like that. But that's its own move. Yeah. You know. Yep. yep. Setting up watch is a move. Um, it's the thing. It's sometimes the things we don't think about, but they're yeah. definitely narrative moments. They're they're part of our like your typical dungeon crawler adventure day. Mm-hmm. But done differently. Yeah, just kind of codified, mm-hmm. but not in such a strict way that it becomes tactical and numerical, you know? Mm-hmm. It's it's become codified in a way that doesn't wring the life out of it, which I find remarkable. Um, <laughs> and then lastly, uh, so characters only go to level 10. Uh, when you reach level 10, it's basically suggested that you retire that character. Yeah. Or you take on an apprentice. But with that character, that apprentice, is your new character. Yep. It's a level one character who thought that the exploits of your level 10 character were so awesome, they want to follow in their footsteps. Mm-hmm. But the story moves on, you know? Mm-hmm. And we're not here to accumulate power and wealth. We're here to tell stories. Right. And after a certain point, you're not telling stories anymore with your level 10 character. Move them to the side. Let someone new in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and I, I think that's that's one of the things that I really like about it as a whole is that there is a definition for your character within the narrative. It's not just I'm someone in a world and I'm trying to figure out how I fit and I'm trying to figure out where my part of the story connects with it. It is embedded from moment one mm-hmm. and even from the start points. So what does Dungeon World do well? Well, it feels very light and very quick. Yes. Um, Extraordinarily. That you can basically just get right to the action. I remember how long it used to create. I mean, session zeros for creating characters in in AD&D was downright painful at times. Oh, it was. It was an eight-hour day at least. Yeah. And and especially if you had multiple books and all the setting made it challenging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then if you then needed to make any kind of background for your character, if that even meant anything, you know, depending on the storyteller... Because sometimes you were just there. Yeah. Right? It didn't matter that you were someone of something at some place with this kind of a history. That that was irrelevant. You were going into a dungeon. Mm-hmm. Now that's flipped. Now it takes you ten minutes to make your character and two and a half hours to build the world with your storyteller. <laughs> because yeah. you're you're playing the game to do that. Yep. Yep. Or yeah. I, I, I really doesn't even need to take two and a half hours to, to, to build. Well, what I'm saying is you're you're in the can, story at that point. Yeah, because you can because you leave blanks, you know. Exactly. You come up with a lot of the stuff on the fly and that's half of the adventure is yeah. is is having that sort of participation in there. Yep. Um and and that's, you know, you so see you said you know the rules light it's very easy on both the player and the storyteller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but then you also have that focus on collaboration, like right. I mentioned, where um, it, it it's very empowering to players who wish they had more say in the setting, because this is a setting in which you um, you you ask the opinions and input of the players to tell me what's going on, and then I'm I'm there to just kind of facilitate it for you, and the fiction continues, you know. Agreed. Agreed. So where's our stumbling blocks? 
for Dungeon World? I the first thing that hits me is is that if I'm coming from a tactical game and a tactical mindset as mm-hmm. a storyteller, it's the numbers aren't there. There's, yeah. there's no numbers to play with. Yeah. There's no way for me to say, is this encounter overpowering for my players? Mm-hmm. Is this, you know, how am I to do this? And secondarily, how do I plan encounters? Period. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It's uh, it's it's tricky there. And it's also because everything's, you know, kind of theater of the mind's eye. There's no real rules for, you know, using miniatures. There's no rules for I mean, distances are, are, are described in vague words like long and close. Yeah. You know? So what what's the range on a bow? I don't know, long range. Yeah. Well, how long is that? Right. You know, for people who need those sort of answers, Dungeon World may be a little vague for you. Yeah. Um so understandable. Um my big thing was that it puts pressure on the players to create their own narrative. And yes. I know um at least at the tables that we've sat at, mm-hmm. that has not been every player's cup of tea. Agreed. I I I know a lot of players who have a hard time coming up on the fly answers mm-hmm. and that getting questions, even the 20 questions, the typical 20 questions that we have challenges them and yeah. stresses them out. What was your favorite thing tonight? Uh, I don't know. Exactly. I, I didn't really count on being called on. We did this every night. You yes, know, but, exactly. Mm, I'm not feeling it. Skip me. Yeah. Okay. okay. It, for, for your comfort, I'll skip you. <laughs> not in Dungeon World. Yeah, not it, in Dungeon World. You're, now you're, you got a problem. You're called on constantly, and there's there's no even like if you've had a long day at work and you know you're just tired. Mm-hmm. There's no like passenger seat. No. In this, everybody's a driver, so yeah. it's always a little bit taxing. Um, mm-hmm. And the the last thing too is kind of that with uh, that sort of group collaboration thing is that it bets on that cooperation and the maturity of the group. Um, it only functions if everyone plays in a considerate and mature way and, you know, allows other people their turn, um, making sure that you're yes anding what other people are doing, um, and, excuse me, uh, you know, leaning into that inter-party role-play of your character's bonds. You know, if you're a selfish player, if you're a shy player, uh, if you're a player that, um, with mismanaged expectations... Uh, may not only falter here, but you know you might have, might actually bring the whole group down with you. You know, yeah. It, it, it there's a lot of demands on the players yeah. more so than I would say pretty much any game. You you've moved away from tabletop, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's one of the first takeaways you have to take from this particularly is that we are stepping away from the tabletop and sitting down on the couch. Yeah, yeah. You you may lean to make a roll, but most of the game is going to be played relaxed, mm-hmm. sitting back, and doing a lot more thinking. Absolutely. So. so take us a little bit into Urban Shadows. I know it's it's a game that I like a lot from the from the, the sidelines. Yes. yes. Uh, again, never played it. Um, but... So first off, there are two editions now. Uh, one second edition is coming out soon. Uh, they've got a Kickstarter going mm-hmm. right now. Uh, I was today years old when I learned yeah, that. Uh, I I knew it was happening, but like, I I almost missed out because for whatever reason my Kickstarter flag did not go off. Oh, <laughs> so yep. I I quickly got into that. So perfect timing. Um, if you like what we're talking, we're about to talk about here. Yeah. The Kickstarter is going right now. Now I, I learned about Urban Shadows uh, first edition. <laughs> Funny enough, from one of the kind of creators, collaborative creators, uh, Magpie Games mm-hmm. is uh, co-owned by one of my friends. Well, oh, okay. uh, more of acquaintance. Um, I, I I met her through another friend mm-hmm. uh, when we were playing uh, 7th C 2nd Edition. And uh, it was fun. It was neat. And then they shifted to Urban Shadows, and I, I got to play Urban Shadows uh-huh. for a little bit with them. And it was fantastic, and I got really excited about it. And then the world fell apart, and I wasn't able to connect back with them uh, for quite some time. Um, but then I see that there's this second edition coming out. I was very excited. So imagine Urban Shadows, um, <laughs> much like you said with D&D, it is the chillest game of World of Darkness ever. Uh-huh. But it's not just World of Darkness, and that's the key, is that it's Dresden, it's World of Darkness, it's Underworld, it's uh, Buffy, it's... Uh, it's October Day, yeah, uh, yeah. It, all it those falls falls... under all of those categories because you have wizards and demons and fae and vampires and werewolves all playing in the same area. And more, that's scratching the surface. Correct, correct, ghosts and, and hunters and, mm-hmm. and, and psychics and oracles. So it's it's a 
a hodgepodge of tropes of the underworld. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea is, is that urban shadows are what happens in the shadows. In fact, the game kind of says, don't play this during the day. The day is for the norms. Play it at night. Oh, spooky. This is our time. Uh-huh. And so they want you to get into that mind frame that you are in a different set. And that's the whole thing about urban shadows is, is that this is the secret world that is obfuscated. Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is the you know goblin market that you have to know about to go there. But everybody who's in the underworld n- knows that. Everyone yeah. who's part of those shadows knows that. If you know, you know. Right. You don't cross the graveyard after 6 p.m. because the groundskeeper is undead and will kick you out and s- the vampires will help. Mm-hmm. And so will the werewolves, even though they've hated each other for the last 60 years, you know. Because since... you just don't do that. Right. So, and that's really where things start leaning is, uh-huh. is that Urban Shadows changes the script a little bit from Dungeon World in the sense that the city is a character that all of the group creates. Mm-hmm. So our little repartee there with um, Dungeon World is magnified. So when you sit down, the first thing you do as a group is create the city. Literally. You may pick a city, but you have a map of it. You have streets and areas and sectors. And you talk about where things exist. Mm -hmm. Where you might exist. Where powers, factions exist. And that's what determines what's the layout. The city itself is a commitment. And that's the key is that to play Urban Shadows, and they wrote this in the book, and I love the way they wrote this. Playing mm-hmm. Urban Shadows requires discipline, a commitment to the moment at hand instead of the next 10 moments you want. The minute that you know where things are going is the moment that the story feels dead. Mm-hmm. Trust that you're going somewhere interesting. Play to find out what happens. The surprise is what's fun. Yep. And yep. that's the truth. That's that's the core behind Urban Shadows. And I think that's great because I think a lot of like a lot of games, you know, especially as players, you tend to try to play very defensively and like, oh, I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be put in a bad situation. So I'm going to play things very safe. So things always work out for my character. And I think right. Urban Shadows is a is a setting right there, you know, kind of encourages you to allow stuff to happen. Yes. You know, and. And it cuts down the minor pieces. Mm-hmm. It focuses on how the city is interacting with your character, what you're doing with the other characters, and how you're interacting with those factions within the city. And that is all creativity that works within the group. There is no, I'm doing this, and therefore you're doing that, and we're going to do this. It's, what's the discussion? Mm-hmm. Where are we going to the next scene? Why is this scene important? We're not talking about the minutia going on within a scene. I'm not going to go over the details within a, with a crime investigator of what's going on in the scene. That's that's covered in discussion. Yeah, it's quick. It's over. So it isn't until something's important that you have a scene and that moves come out of it. Um, the key is is that expectations are set, meaning. You know, are your vampires interview with a vampire vampires or are they underworld vampires or are they Dresden vampires? Mm -hmm. Those are all very different things and people have their minds. So as a group, you decide what that is in your city. How does that happen? Right. What makes them that way? Mm -hmm. Um, And that's true for all of the things under the veil. Um, But everyone knows that there 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 aren't like hidden flavors there. That's why it has it happens as an open discussion. Knocks on the box says sparkle vampires. Sure, you could you could have sparkle vampires. One hundred percent. Nope. 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 And right out of that. Okay. All right. So, <laughs> much like with Dungeon World, there are archetypes in this, and that is where these are the loosely defined tropes, for better term. Right. 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 Um, that define where you sit within the factions and what you are. So for instance, you have uh, mortals, which are human who are in the know. You have night, which covers your vampires, werewolves, and ghosts. You have power, which are people with gifts or magic or immortals. So that's like if you have fey and fey and wizards and stuff like that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then Oracles. you have the wild. Yes. And then the wild are the demons uh, that mm-hmm. actually sit with the fey. Um, and those are part of the realm beyond. 
So uh, think think of powers more of just magic uh, oracles and uh, mortals in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, subsets of gods, if you will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, stats are are chosen very similar. They're very simple um, and uh, have an array that go from. I think you you get zero. You get like. Uh, you get a negative one, a zero, two plus ones, and then you can throw a plus one on one of the other stats. Yep. So it's yep. very simple. Uh, factions, again, are defined by your archetype that sits within those, and there are a bunch of archetypes. Ghost, Hunter, uh, Oracle, Vampire, uh, Werewolf, or Wolf. Um, and the idea is, is that everyone picks an archetype and no one duplicates Mm -hmm. the idea is is that we want you to be separate yeah um the moves are very similar are are very similar to dungeon world and and there are moves for everything Mm -hmm. there are your basic moves that everyone does which includes like uh you know i'm going to uh unleash an attack or turn to violence effectively the same thing Mm -hmm. uh escape a situation persuade an npc figure someone out mislead distract or trick uh and keep your cool or let it out uh and let it out is you're you're basically using your uh your energy whether it's you know i'm 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 doing wizardy stuff i'm doing fey stuff i thought it was a song from that disney movie uh it, you know what it actually applies very well if you think about it right right um and that's let it go um you have your factions and circle moves, which might be gathering information or uh, learning about things within the city or affecting things, throwing rumors out. Mm-hmm. You have debt moves, and this is where you deal with your debts with other players. Now, right. that get established during the beginning of the game. So once your character creations, you then go and make debts with everyone. Yeah, debts becomes kind of a major mechanic in, uh, uh, in, in Urban Shadows. Very much so, because it is all about who you know and what they owe. Uh huh. And that's that is just a discussion. So, for instance, you know, as I said, you go to the person next to you, and that person might be like, "All right, uh, I need to have a debt uh, of of a bond." Uh, so, I'm gonna say that you know, Sarah, your vampire, uh, I saved you uh, from dying one night. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah's like, "Okay, how?" So now you work with me to tell me how that saving happened and mm-hmm. why it was so important. And that's the way that those debts work at creation. I may have debts with factions as well. And again, your archetype determines how much your debts are and how they handled. Right, right. And and so they, therein, it's uh, it, you kind of get the flavor of the game mm-hmm. um, in that... Your dungeon world is very much, you know, your your dungeon crawling adventurer lifestyle represented with Powered by the Apocalypse. Bonded where, to each other. Whereas um, Urban Shadows is more of a political game of trading and buying off debts and stuff like that. Very much so. It's much, much more political, much more social. It doesn't mean combat doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's far more within that realm. Hence the chillest game of World of Darkness you'll ever play. Right. Your yep. special moves are limited. Um, I, if I remember correctly, there's only like four special moves is the most that a player might have. Um, and these are archetype specific for instance as a ghost i might be able to under let it all out do something unique mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and and affect things in a different way than say a hunter might be able to or a vampire might be able to sure um the last are the dramatic moves which we, you kind of talked about with death on um on the dungeon world uh this is where corruption comes in a corrupted move and this is mm-hmm. where like if i let it out it affects corruption it mm-hmm. creates a corruption move. Um, it's kind of leaning into your darker nature right. and stuff like that. If I'm taking care of somebody, the group may agree that it's an intimacy move, that it covers with end of that drain. Or I might be coming to an end, mm-hmm. and and there's an end move. that And those drum, drum, dramatic moves are told to you how they will play out, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you follow those. So if, if you meet certain criteria, this is what happens. Yep kind of yep. a thing again it doesn't change the narrative option where things can be narrated it gives you the steps in yeah that sense yeah yeah shows it shows you how that should play out right so what makes urban shadows unique um one of the things that it does differently is framing of scenes mm-hmm. it talks about framing scenes and hard framing most scenes are just straight up discussions Literally, it's the group talking about, you know, hey, we need to really go invest, you know, go talk about, you know, our characters need to go talk about this Mm -hmm. because we're not 
together, you know, we're not in the same space because you don't work as a team as some of the other games. You might be in very different places. So you might come to a common ground to do a scene, right? And so the group kind of discusses like, oh, well, wouldn't you be going, guys meet up at, uh, you know, Tony's club? <coughs> no, 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 no. That's where the vampires hang out. We'll probably end up having to do it back at your apartment. Right, 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 right. Okay. So we all meet at the apartment and now yep, there's and a scene you, at the apartment. Just there. That's yep. it. Um, there's hard framing, which is where the, the MC, the master of ceremonies, uh, kind of comes through and says, what's pushing something. So for instance, you might be meeting with somebody, but maybe on the way there, maybe on the way out or, or where you guys go, something's going on. So now the MC has stepped in to kind of push the story forward, um, in that direction, but it doesn't allow like the reason why they're there, the MC might have, but it also means that. You have the players being flexible about how they come in, what changes, what what else is going on within that scene. Again, it it sets those those little fleeting moments off to the side and mm-hmm. only gets you back to the meat of the story. Yes, on when those moments have to happen. Um, which is, still, which is which is nice because it's cut so much chaff out of the out of the story. Honestly, it really does. It really does. It it takes all of the pittance NPCs and kind of throws them out the door, mm-hmm. um, so that you're left with just the meat and potatoes of the story. And and it really does kind of take it up to that level. Like uh, it it reinforces the idea that you are you know a supernatural. You're on you're on the level of the supernatural, mm-hmm. whether you're a, a, a mortal in the know, right? Or one of the or one of the the supernatural there, right? It really kind of it sets the story, it frames it around the supernatural, mm-hmm. so that like any of the mortals that aren't really in the know, it's like uh, shut up for the tens are talking, you know? <laughs> exactly, 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 and that's that's it really does put you in that frame constantly. Yeah. Um, what it does uh do well is that it is a fast piece RP noir. Mm-hmm. Like, without a doubt, players can quickly get right into telling stories, and there's very little that blocks play. Yep. It, you're, you're just right into it. Yep. Um, it appears complicated, in all honesty. Like, from an onset, all these moves, all these things that are in there. Mm-hmm. Once you step into it, it is very simple to just talk. Yeah. Um, and, and creativity just pushes the story through. And then every once in a while, the storyteller and, or the players say, Hey, I think we need to make a move on that. Yeah. I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I think that was the biggest, the biggest hurdle for me, at least reading mm-hmm. through both the, both the dungeon world and the, um, uh, the urban shadows rule books was mm-hmm. that it does, it does look like a big list of moves and like, Oh God, I've got to memorize all these moves. Well, first off you don't, cause there's a quick reference sheet. But right. Second off, just let the fiction happen. Yeah. And then when somebody kind of speaks up, whether it's the master of ceremonies or whether it's one of the players, says, "Maybe we should make a move for that." Yeah. Someone can kind of go, "Oh yeah, um, actually, I've got a move that triggers off of doing exactly what we're doing right now. Let's try that." You know, you roll some dice, you find out what the narrative, you know, what what, what the rules say about the how the narrative continues, and that's it. You move and, on, and the fiction just keeps rolling. Yep. yep. Yeah. I think where it stumbles is mm-hmm. some interesting points. One. Starting players and and master scenery are going to get caught up in the nuance of the moves. Mm-hmm. I think any players who are new to this are going to think that those are hard rules, and and step into that and kind of lose track of the storytelling. Yeah, especially if you're coming from something very codified like D and D. Right, uh, and and that's that's a huge step to try and get over. Um, the other part of it is that. The players have to be into it. Mm-hmm. They have to be invested. They have to be disciplined to respond and to work with the MC and each other. If if you're not in the story, like if you're just not feeling it, like mm-hmm. you're having a bad day, like you said, this game falls apart instantaneously. Yep. Like yep. it is not even a side thing and you feel it. Everyone feels it. Mm-hmm. And like literally you can play with less players and so the storyteller might just be like, hey, you know, maybe, maybe just not. Maybe just sit out tonight. Yeah. yeah. And and you become a spectator and, and add nothing to the story. Mm-hmm. I could easily see uh, without a number of players who are active and in it that this game could die and feel very, very small. And I think spectating to a degree creates a problem within itself because now players who are player characters in the game aren't playing 
and literally start to fade because they're seeing these other players do more and more and more, and that might drift them away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I, I think it's a challenging game that you have to be disciplined and ready for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, players help create the sessions. And, and literally, one of the things they talk about is when you step into a new session, one of the suggestions they give you is you roll for the faction. So, for instance, your player's just like, okay, it's the beginning of the session. Uh, what are you doing, Sarah? You know, uh, well, I'm going to go and I got to go talk to the vampires about uh, this holy relic that got stolen because I, I think they know. Oh, so you're going to go gather information. Yeah. All right. Let's do a faction roll on that to start with to see how well this story is going to go tonight. Mm-hmm. And you roll and you get a three. Well, we both know that the story is going to go in a not so great direction tonight. Nope. <laughs> yeah. And so unless you're prepared to talk about what you're doing, mm-hmm. the storyteller is not there to guide you through the story. Yeah. They're yeah. there to listen to what your character wants to do and then tell you how the city reacts. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's very sandboxy in that. And so what, there's a lot of demands there. Finally, an MC who, or a master ceremonies in the case, of the storyteller who is unprepared to just have the setting and a loose idea of the story is going to find themselves trying to hard railroad, and it is going to be felt quickly. You're gonna, you're gonna be fighting your players the entire time because you've got, they've got so much control over the narrative, right? And you're gonna be playing tug of war the entire time with the plot, right? And yeah. that's. That's a challenge. Yeah. That is a critical difference between it and City of Mists. Yeah, absolutely. City of Mists is an investigation story where the MC knows the mystery mm-hmm. and you're involved in it. This is very much you're telling the story with them. Yeah. What's what's going on in the city tonight, boys? Right. You know? And then they're filling in the gaps. Like you you could go too far as a player to say that you know that the the vampires have stolen this artifact and are hiding it within their enclave. And, you know, the wizards group, you know, is just finding out about it because they're going to use it for this great ritual. Okay, great. That's a lot of detail. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. You just created half the story. You just created most of the story. There's still things you don't know. Yeah. 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 You don't know the true motivations of any one of the players in there. And that's where the MC has to fill in the gaps and do it relatively fast. Yeah, it's a lot of improv. It's it, a lot of it's a lot of thinking on your feet for the for the storyteller. So that's yeah, you know, be ready for a workout, man. It, if you're gonna it is a mental this. workout, but at the same time, it's very enjoyable. Oh yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Fun to it's fun to watch a a group who knows each other and knows the type of character interactions that they're going to do, and it becomes very very much caricatures mm-hmm. of the moments. And that makes for a different time. Plus, it allows for a lot of creative uses to flow. And that makes it good, but at the same time makes it very demanding. So I would say for anybody going into Urban Shadows, be prepared for the group that you've got and what and set your expectations as the MC to a level that's acceptable. Because you may be like, oh, everybody's got to be super creative, and we got to do all these things, and we got to do this, and they may not be ready for that. Yeah, yeah. They're like, hey, I just wanted to play a fae in this city. I, I don't, I don't know what's going on, and I, I don't have anything to add. Like, that's not necessarily going to work very well. Well, but at the same time, though, um, I, you, you got to kind of allow the wiggle room for people to warm up to that playstyle, I suppose. Exactly. Um, like, uh, so Knox in the box in the live chat is asking, like, do you do you bring ringers? with different play styles for newbies to see? Let them decide what play style fits them better? I would say, for me, yeah, don't necessarily bring a ringer to play something. Bring a ringer to ask questions mm-hmm. and to help with, with bringing the improv together. Yeah. I think that's where the value will come. And I think it's, I think it's less, less valuable to have a ringer that um, just plays as an example but rather tries to engage the newbies to get them involved in learning and exactly. playing and seeing it for themselves. Yeah. And with this game, it's less about the rules and more about the improv and story creation. Yeah. That, the, that you need your people to move to. Yeah, absolutely. So. Like, the, the rules almost seem secondary. Yeah, kind of. In a lot of ways. Yeah, they're, they should feel very organic in what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So. You want to hit questions? Yeah, let's do some questions. Okay. We've got 10 minutes left. It's a nice, uh, nice tidy time for it. Yeah. 
Uh, so Overwatch asks, uh, based on the unique aspects of the Powered by the Apocalypse system, is there a particular setting or genre of game you think would uh, be well-suited to it that hasn't been explored yet? You said Dresden. Uh, well, no, because Dresden is... It is represented. It's you can play Urban Shadows in the Dresden Files setting, mm-hmm. almost entirely out of the box. That's true. Uh, we were discussing this a little bit before the podcast started. I think it's like you need to basically make demons a restricted class. Like you can't you can't play demons because right. uh, they're they're very rare and very special in uh, in the Dresden verse. But I would say that it gives you a sandbox to be able to stretch those feet. Which is something that isn't available necessarily. That's true. That's true. That's true. You might be able to find some sort of lesser demon, maybe that isn't a denarian, if you if you know yeah. the setting. But uh, um, and and that the uh, the the fae um, are very uh, focused on winter and, and summer courts, mm-hmm. uh, and there's really not like a court mechanic in uh, you know a seely or unseely mechanic in right. uh, for the fae in this. So you know it's a consideration. Yeah. If you really wanted to be like faithful to the Dresden setting, mm-hmm. but. I digress. It's it's represented. It's very well represented. So mm-hmm. the question is, what what particular setting or genre do you think would be well suited to that hasn't been explored? Well, the first thing that came to my mind is we're still thinking very terrestrial. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing to say that you couldn't do urban shadows in a sci-fi setting. Exactly. Exactly. There's You could easily do a moon base or a Mars base where stuff is happening differently and that's an effect it uh, it, it helps condense it i don't i don't know if i would do like urban shadows out there like i just think i would make the you know use the the, the core you know apocalypse setting mm-hmm. uh for just a space game just in general just yeah to, to just simplify like make powered by the apocalypse traveler oh yeah you know, or or, or Spelljammer. Yeah, Spelljammer would be great. You know, mm-hmm. some something out there. I I and there there are a few um, space games that I saw in the list of uh, on that wiki of, of those twenty four games that were out mm-hmm. there. Um, but uh, the only space games were were very specific. Like mm-hmm. one of them where you played artificial intelligences mm-hmm. that had their own ships and such like that, which is which is neat. But I don't think any of them really captured that like. Firefly esque. We're a ragtag band of yeah. whatever you know out out in the world with nothing but the black and our ship. Yeah, you know, and we're just gonna do crew things out yeah. here and have adventures amongst the stars. Yeah, I think powered by the apocalypse would be a good uh, engine for uh, stuff like Stargate or yeah. or uh, you know where you're traveling and it's more about the narrative and the unknown. Yeah, 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 yeah. It could, it could be. I mean, it really depends on how, how tactical you want to be about things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, Stargate, I might want to run in something more like um, Savage Worlds. Okay. Um, there is actually a Stargate uh, role-playing game that's coming out. Uh, it's, I, oh. It's either in Kickstarter now or its Kickstarter has just recently closed. Okay. Um, but the SG-1 role-playing game, uh, and it was uses uh, actually the D&D 5th edition rules. Oh, interesting. Um. Yeah, but of I, course, heavily modified it to, yeah. to fit the setting. The the other one that uh, kind of hits me is a a our return kind of to adventure mm-hmm. with something like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. That could be cool. That yeah. is that that takes away that whole power aspect mm-hmm. that adventure and Aeon Society kind of throws at you and giving you this mix between. Uh, a tactical game quasi super powered yeah. characters yeah whereas this kind of get puts it back onto the story yeah. you know stories like the mummy and things like that where where it's less about the combat because that's not the heavy mechanic it's more about what's really going on oh there we go actually uh, uh nox was nice enough to link it in our live chat oh. the sg1 role-playing game by Excellent. wyvern gaming um okay. and let me see here i'm clicking on to see if it's still open mm. uh it's successfully funded excellent uh, it looks like it's closed. Okay. Well, I'm still certain that you could probably go in the right places to get it. But I, I think the I think the big takeaway from the discussion though mm-hmm. is that um any game setting or, or you know, any story that you're gonna tell in part with part by the apocalypse behind it as mm-hmm. a rule system is going to end up being focused on the narrative. Very with much that so. broad step away from your tactical crunchy gameplay. Right. If you if you have creative people Mm-hmm. Who need a le- rules light system to just tell a good story? 
I think it's a great way to go. Yep. I think that there's there are definite pros and cons to it, but I think you could adapt very quickly to make it a campfire type of of story or 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 any number of events that require less mechanics to be thrown around. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, but more just mind's eye. One of the first things that I think about that this kind of leans into, which we we discussed is I think that if you had people who were very creative but maybe f- had physical limitations, maybe they're blind, mm-hmm. physically blind, the, the player is, or or has uh, ailments where they can't necessarily get to a table, this is a perfect type of game to be playing over Discord. Yeah. Or or, or, or FAR or some tele-gaming system where you've got the ability to let your mind run. And be part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let creatives be creative with just a, f- a few set expectations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think it's perfect for that kind of stuff. All right. So we... You got the next question? Oh, yes. Let me get back to that. Uh, well, what is running the world behind the scenes like? For example, do you schedule world events to happen whether your players know about them or not? Can you take? Can you make worlds operate on a rigid timetable? I think you can, but I think in my mind, is it important? Yeah, yeah. Now to to clarify, this is a uh, uh, knocks in the box. Uh, oh, I, I asked him um, if he meant just a gaming in general, or if he meant powered by the apocalypse. Uh, and he did clarify this is gaming in general. Yes. So this is not an apocalypse world specific question, but yeah, I mean, running the world behind the scenes. Um, I think I, I, I echo Rob on this one is it's you can, but you need Sorry. to, fi- what you need to figure out is how much micromanagement is important. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, you can have things scheduled, but I think again, you know, things that, that are dramatically appropriate, you want to make sure that your, uh, players are aware that those things are happening and that, uh, they can do something about them. Cause, uh, what you don't want to do is like you know schedule things to happen in the background, like you know your your big bad evil guy's secret plot or something like that, right? Right. But then not tell the players about you know enough information to be able to get involved with it. Right. So then one day you just spring on them. Oh well, the castle blows up. Exactly. Exactly. Don't set predetermined timers that after my third campaign, you know, after my third session, this is going to happen. After my mm-hmm. sixth session, this is going to happen. Or after they've gone through one month of in-game travel, this is going to happen and it's a blood moon and whatever, you know. Yeah. Move move the story along as it needs to be. If if there is a moment in time that they need to hit for instance, you're like, you know, I'm thinking of something like that uh, Avatar Last Airbender where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, the meteor's going to be coming on, you know, the, during the blood moon. Okay, well, when's the blood moon? Uh, it's going to happen in, you know, uh, in two fortnights. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you, you now have a time marker to hit. How do you move the story to meet the marker? Right, right. I, I would do that. Now, on the other hand, having special events happen at a certain time? Sure. Knowing certain times a year? So that the players are like, hey, is there like a festival this time of year? You're going to be mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, actually there is. There's a festival during this section of the year. It's uh, it's the Harvest Festival. It's, uh, you know, supports this god. Yeah, very, very doable. I, I think I think of it for, for, for me, mostly running this running behind the scenes is uh, a lot of just looking at how the players have done things in the world and then thinking how would the world react to that. Exactly. And then kind of altering the world in in uh, in relation to their move yeah um and then just going from there so then next time they interact with it it's changed because of how they've done things yeah but then you know you've got your own major players Mm -hmm. so like i've got you know lieutenants and the poppy king himself changing things in that environment so there's a little give and pull there yeah but a lot it's none of it's really on a strict table it's mostly just looking at action and reaction and just adjusting how i think things should be yeah so next week, we're going to return to our mini-series discussion on, we're going to focus on puzzle encounters. You can find us uh, on Twitter at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Uh, MixLR is where our people are hearing us live right now on when, at, on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. at MixLR.com slash Storyteller dash Conclave. You can find our Discord link uh, on our Twitter posts. We usually put it up there. Or you can find it at our uh, website, uh, StorytellerConclave.com. 
I want to thank our Patreon members as always, uh, Knox in the Box, Sam, Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, and all the rest of you. Thank you so much for contributing to the show every week. We really appreciate uh, all, all your uh, your great contributions. Um, our pre-show music is actually by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. That is, you can find that at geefrogmusic.weebly.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. We'd like to thank our families, Vicky, Sean. Thank you so much for assisting us every time on doing these things. All of our friends out there who have helped us play our games and run with us. And you, our listeners. We love you. Love you. Good night. Good night.